Welcome back to Source Not Found, a podcast about the worst versions of your favorite things. I'm Brandon June. And I'm Bo Woodall, the reincarnated Kung Lao. Oh, well in that case, count me among the acolytes of Shao Kahn. I am a, I'm a minion who is devoted to Shang <laughs> Sung. <laughs> oh, my sweet Ruthie. So for anyone just joining us, we have been talking about Mortal Kombat, the novel from 1995. No, not a novelization of the movie, a novelization of the game based on the characters for Midway Manufacturing Company created by John Tobias and Ed Boon. This is a deep, rich narrative, and we recommend anyone just joining us for the first time to go back and listen to part one first. But for anyone that just feels like picking up with us now, um, basically, part one covered the story of Kung Lao about 1,500 years ago and his battle against Shang Sun, a wizard of sorts, a, uh, what, an incongruously skull-like wizard? An incongruously skull-like but still sexy wizard who is trying still to... Still sexy. Everybody's sexy. Everybody's sexy in this book. Um, who is trying to break a portal into the outworld to summon his basically demonic overlord, Shao Kahn. And we were we were Shyamalan a little bit. Um, it was written like a hero's journey. I we both assumed Kung Lao was our main character in this, and we were going to follow him until the end. And just out of nowhere, his heart done got ripped out of his body. The four-armed, two-legged turtle man Goro ripped Kung Lao's heart out of his body. And so we left at the end of part one. We found Kung Lao dead. Earth realm, our mother realm, in mortal danger, keyword mortal. And we are now jumping forward into the present day. We are picking up 1,500 years later. Which is one hell of a jump. Like, that's a hell of a jump. Well, I guess less of a jump from nothing is everywhere and everything is nothing into an actual time and place. That's a very good point. It's a very good point. You're right. It's substantial. And, you know, we, we just watched or read that Kung Lao, who we thought was our main character just got absolutely fucking murked by Goro. And now we're starting part two and we're jumping right into it with a new character. Yeah. And if the uh, introduction of being in the present day, if having that heading wasn't enough, well, Kano is present day, just encapsulated in a human being, just like Kano is the most nineties, 90 bully guy that has ever been put on a page. Whether it's film, book, he is just cliche after cliche after cliche. Peak 90s, a walking assemblage of one-liners and sassy comebacks, tough guy um, sort of facade, and an artificial infrared eye held in place by a metal faceplate. So we've got cyborg vibes on top of all that. He is also a Japanese-born American. Of 35 years. Who has been doing crime for 30 of those years. So yep, <laughs> we had a, we got a nasty five-year-old on our hands. Uh, I like to imagine what he was doing. I know that me being a teacher, um, trying to think of the crimes I'm familiar with from five-year-olds, uh, maybe stealing crayons from the group bucket at the table, um, intentionally pissing your square on the story time carpet, and just like locking eyes with the teacher as you do it. Just letting it rip is like some kind of maybe alpha move. like biting a classmate. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've... But that kind of speaks to my privilege because apparently Kano was out on the street stealing from what like uh gis abroad or something like that i want to say as it comes up at some point as a child he was basically a boo from aladdin like it was just him taking money and whatever whatever he wanted really yeah stealing until he got on the radar of the fearsome black dragon gang correct took him in and sort of shepherded him into his full um flowering into a proper criminal Right. Uh, his his specialties are mercenary, extortionist, bully for hire, and member of the gang. 
Um, he also doesn't like to end uh, verbs with G. It it all ends in a in an apostrophe. Everything's mm. yammering or thinking. There's no thinking. That's true. Or yammering. And don't forget, don't forget to be a misogynist. Yep. Do you think, which of these crimes do you think got him deported from both the U.S. and Japan? Because, yes, apparently you can get deported from your own country. That's a new one for me. <laughs> huh. Nope. Got nothing. <laughs> it's like, yes, on the list of things that your government can do to you, given a... <laughs> certain actions on your part. Yeah. Deportation is not usually in the mix I'm, if you are a natural-born citizen. And he's a, he's a Japanese-born American. I don't know. I don't think there's any sort of carve-out for, for that. When, I'm, honestly, I'm honestly curious like what sort of paperwork he had. So maybe they were just like, well, he doesn't have any sort of citizenship papers at all, so it's not our responsibility anymore. Yeah, I can't imagine like the Black Dragon gang had like a... I don't know, like a drawer in the closet where they kept like his social security card and birth certificate and all his that last report card he ever got from kindergarten. Lots of needs improvements. Yeah, lots of lots of needs improvements. From there, we we meet Kano. Kano's on the hunt for Shang Tsung. Yes, he's seeking out the location of whatever is indicated by an ancient map that was apparently drawn by a baby who got into his dad's ink bowl and drew information dictated to him by a dead person. Uh huh. Uh, he also wanted to tell... Pays two million up front. Yeah, paid two million up front, and he wanted to tell Shang Tsung, nah, your story is right out of the X-Files. In case you guys were curious when this book took place. In case you think Kano is one of those one-dimensional villains and, or criminals that only focuses on crime, no, he has time to, to watch the latest sensation sure. on primetime television. He loves, he loves Scully. Truth is out there, Kano. The truth is out he there. He loves a cigarette-smoking man. That's who he's all for. Um, but <laughs> My kind of guy. So, again, we're introduced to like three or four characters real fast. But the only one that interested me is the first female character with more than a couple of lines of dialogue. And that is mm -hmm. Gilda Stahl. I like Gilda Stahl. One, it's a good name. It's a very, very good name. But two, Gilda Stahl knows how to mess with these dudes. She is not like, despite the fact that this is taking place in the 90s, where there is a I actually wrote down at one point, like, if he fridges Gilda, I will riot. Like, absolutely mm -hmm. no question. I mean, this obviously doesn't pass, like, the Bechdel test or anything like that, but... Because um, I don't think... The what now? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, Rovin hasn't encountered any such test or inklings of any sort of progressive ideas in his ancient, obscure Taoist texts. No, no. There weren't women back then. Mm. No, ma man just sprung from the body of the gods. That's that's what he read. Yeah, there's just there's lunar man and solar man. Those that's the duality. Yeah. Uh, if the listener can't hear me roll my eyes, they are being rolled. So that's that's what this chapter is. Kano is on the hunt for whatever's on this map with the black dragons and Gilda. Mm -hmm. They're headed to the same mountain we know about from Raiden time that supposedly the gods are living on. And that takes us into chapter 13, where we return all these years later to Shang Tsung and Goro, and they're discussing, well, they're discussing a number of things. One I do have some questions about, but first on the list, a man named uh, Sub-Zero, the other man they, they wanted uh -huh. for the job that apparently killed another assassin named Scorpion. Okay, more characters. All the characters bring Dude, him on. Jeff Rovin is not afraid to introduce new things. You know, it's like Midway Entertainment Company, they supplied me with names. 
the names and I'm just I'm just putting these pawns in place. Um, all while Goro snacks on live frogs and newts and snakes. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, just a pretty amusing image. Um, one thing that, that just, it's like a little line. It's, no said the giant, his voice rumbling like a fortissimo bottom A on the piano. It's like every once in a while, in between just the, the lowest of the low brow, Rovin just has to just remind you like, hey, but I am an educated man. Don't forget. <laughs> I am capable of refer- referencing proper like musical terminology. Yeah, I, there also needs to be pointed out that beyond the people's names, there's also a mention of the Lin Kwai ninjas, as well as mm-hmm. the U.S. Special Forces and the Benevolent White Lotus Society. So we have factions. Mm-hmm. It is 40% into the book, and they are just now introducing factions. And so in this scene, we, we now have Shang Tsung and Goro. They're the same age, having been the constant winners of Mortal Kombat. A tournament now held once every generation, as opposed to every year, mm-hmm. in order to better align with the time frame of Outworld. So this is where my question is. Like, uh, we're doing it once a generation now? Like, where's the urgency? 1,600 years ago, Shao Kahn was pissed that it was taking more than 13 years to take down Kung Lao. And now here we are at the turn of the millennium. We're still not done. And he's apparently cool with like this leisurely, eh, let's just do it once every human lifetime. So do you, do you think they did that so they can farm better souls? I'm just I'm like, what has been going on in the interim? Like when with Kung Lao out of the picture, with Goro on deck, how is this shit not done? Yeah, my only thought, is that because they had, like, by doing it every generation, they are getting the strongest of souls for that generation, as opposed to getting kind of dinky ones every year. But again, Jeff doesn't talk about this, so... We're just, we're expected to be fine with the, to better align with the time frame of Outworld explanation. Yes. That, that's supposed to cover it. Um so I guess let's just, okay, something something with the time got tricky. They, they couldn't seem to handle the, the time zone difference between our realms. It's just it's easier if we just do it once a generation. And it seems like they're not just bringing Shao Kahn over. They're bringing Shao Kahn, his army of right. demons and furies, and they're also bringing an army of Goro's people, led by someone named Kentaro, which out of Bo not knowing anything about Mortal Kombat, I have no idea who the fuck Kentaro is. Was he... You don't need to. Was he in any of the games? So apparently, I had to check this, Kentaro was in Mortal Kombat 2, made his debut there as a sub-boss. I think I'm proving how much I sucked at that game. Didn't get it to the sub-boss. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Uh, maybe if I saw it in play, I would remember that, that encounter. But off the top of my head, I don't remember Kentaro. All right, so that's what they're doing. They're trying to bring through an army, and apparently Shang Tsung has just been twiddling his fucking thumbs for 1,300 years. Just hanging out on his island, doing magical stuff, being young, living it up. So then we get to... You know he's, you know he's throwing some bangers on that island. I mean, well, he's only working once a generation. Well, thi- what is he doing in the interim? You know what he's doing? He's working on that bone throne. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He needs more pandas. He needs more whale blubber. Yeah, and when he's not working on the bone throne, he's... Working on the bone throne. On the bone throne. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then we, we return back to the descendant of Kung Lao, priest of the temple, and the small shepherd boy, Chin. Chin Chin. All right, I, I did notice one, one thing here. Um, one, we have a new Kung Lao. It has been right. over 100 generations, and they've kept this Kung Lao name. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say just, not just a descendant of Kung Lao, 
Kung Lao in his own right. Different guy, a lot less stubborn. Super intense, super yeah. cool. A Kung Lao for the new generation, for present day. A Kung Lao for the people. Also, I just, I can never read the, the name Chin Chin. I'm sorry, just Chin Chin is Japanese for penis. Cool. Roven being a, a Sinophile, I, I can't expect he, he knows or recognizes that, but uh, just something that I just need to bring to your attention. Awesome. I'm, I'm really <laughs> glad I read penis a whole bunch. Um, Little shepherd penis. We get no time with New Kung Lao before Kano comes, Nothing. before Kano comes a knock in. Yeah. Like, it genuinely made me second guess who was the main character of this book. I continue to second guess long yep. beyond this scene. Yeah. In fact, I'm here at the uh, on the other side of having read the book. I'm still not completely sure, but we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so apparently Kung Lao's super into linguistics, completely can speak English to all the people that, that show up, no problem. Uh, he also knows Cantonese and Mandarin, made sure, wrote that down. I just, this whole thing goes back to Kano looking for the village that the original Kung Lao came from. Come to find mm -hmm. out, that's what new Kung Lao's village used to be called. Surprise, surprise. And so, on the other side of the barrel of the gun, they agree to guide Kano to his sought-after prize. Y yes, there's a small condition. They're going to straight-up murk a kid. They, well, yeah, they, right, I should say, on the other side of the barrel of the gun is... A child. Chin Chin. They are threatening to murder a child in case we are curious who the bad guys are well you know kano started his crime career at five so he probably doesn't think anything of it right like oh, i know five-year-olds are capable of some shit so they they find all this stuff they threaten the kid and now we maybe meet our main character he's definitely up for consideration so chapter 15 finds us lu kang meeting lu kang and i think um I think these are going to be the two contenders going forward, like Kung Lao and Liu Kang. It's a matter of, are they just a, we have a shared protagonist situation? We seem to have equal helpings of each here, at least from the reincarnated Kung well, Lao going forward, right? They do mention that Liu Kang is mentored by Kung Lao, but Liu Kang left the temple to be more active as, I guess, a vigilante. Right. Working with, with the, the White Lotus. Lotus Society or whatever. Yeah. And becoming westernized. I mean, um, we start out in his dream. Um, towering skyscrapers glowing in the sunset, um, just like looking at this fractal-like mass of people, and then a single bolt of lightning tearing through the cloudy sky, faster, larger, longer lived than any of the people had ever seen. It rolls through the deep stone and steel valleys of the city and just rends it asunder. Then so the wave all of that, rises. Yeah, all of that beautiful, all of that beautiful writing turns to... Uh, Turning brick to dust and steel girders to Twizzlers. I'm so glad. That is, you just knew where I was heading and you got there a little faster. <laughs> I was really just setting the stage for steel girders God. to Twizzlers. God damn it. Why? Why? But that was my segue there. It's like, we have, a, we have Liu Kang, the son of a poor farmer in rural China. And we have a, a description focalized through him. And the description that you decide to land on is... Look like Twizzlers. Yeah, it looks like Twizzlers. He turned those beans into like, Twizzlers. <laughs> you know, he, he has, right? He's been working as a, a vigilante or whatever. He's been in the U.S. and somewhere along the line, he just developed a hankering for Twizzlers. Now he sees them everywhere. So, yeah, we, we get our lovely Twizzler-laden introduction to Liu Kang. Apparently, he is undercover looking for Kano and through looking for Kano, also looking for Shang Tsung. Apparently, it is an 
it is international knowledge, at least the White Lotus Society and the U.S. Special Forces, that Shang Tsung is bad news. Hmm. There's some shady stuff happening on Chinamura Island. He's also lying there in his tent with the other members of his group, thinking about the agent who has successfully infiltrated Kano's group, U.S. Special Operative Sonya Blade. Sonya Blade is Gilda. Love it. Love it. Spoiler alert. Well, wait, no. Are you just assuming that because we've only met one other female character that this other female character has to be that other one female character? You know, the only other female character we've met died in 480 AD. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I'm pretty sure. That is the reveal in the next chapter, which is a chapter basically composed of that reveal and a lot of banter and not much else. Kano, Kano and his crew, they bring the banter. Yeah. So from there, we return to Shang Tsung, now freaking out to Ruthie that Raiden is once again back to influencing events and reaching out to potential allies. Um, they discuss a mysterious ally who lives like the ascetic's life in the mountains, who may have the ability to stop the White Lotus, who they've realized are following behind Kano and his group. And this man might be the most badass we've seen yet. Talk about, I mean, Kung Lao had like, you know, a bit of like, um, what do I want to say? Irreverence for the gods. Sure. This guy gave the finger to the god you by disemboweling a man and dumping him in the sacred waterway. You know, the only thing he could have done worse is kill a sacred panda and skin it. That's the, true. <laughs> there is there is one thing that uh, I do have to mention about this this entire sequence, and it's right after talking about disposing of the body. Uh, apparently, Shang Tsung's in love with the pigeon. Tell me more. He loves that damn pigeon. The pigeon has a name. He calls it his precious. You who do not need the waterways, the tunnels, or the favor of the arrogant you to accomplish your mission, fly, my precious, fly. <laughs> the bird's name is Hamachi, and he loves his bird. Like, a Tesla-level love of this bird. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's been spending a lot of time isolated on his little island, and things are getting weird. He loves that bird. He loves Hamachi. More than he loved his wife and adopted children, in fact. So much so that he can remember his bird, but he cannot remember his kids. <laughs> uh, I forget the face of, of my, my lineage, but I can never forget that luscious beak of yours. Yeah, that, those beautiful black pearl eyes. But the message is going to the one person that they believe can stop the White Lotus Society in their mm. tracks. And then we have an entire chapter an entire chapter that just gives the full backstory of Sub-Zero and none of it matters because we've already heard it all from Shang Tsung in the chapter before. <laughs> well, you say that, but there's just so much gold in chapter 18. <laughs> um, I, I don't even know where to begin. I think probably we have to start with just the description of where he lives. Oh, that the cave is lovely. Yeah. Not just any cave. He dwelt in a cave 200 feet up the face of a cliff by the sea. The mouth of his home was barely wide enough to accommodate a slender adult and was accessible only by climbing the sheer wall of rock, a feat that was impossible for most adults and daunting even to the few arachnids and marsupials that tried it. Now, I just I want to highlight once again this description of a feat that was impossible for most adults. What that seems to be implying is that, because uh, like usually if you use a specific term, right, you're implying that to be in contrast to another related type within the same sort of umbrella category, right? Sure. So we're talking about humans. So 
if you are not talking about adults, you're talking about children, as if like this is a task that would be suited for children, but particularly difficult for adults. That's what it's implying. But like, we're no longer just talking about the mouth of the home. Like, okay, yes, it's not very wide. It would be easier for a kid to slip in there. But now we're talking about the fact that the task of climbing the sheer wall of rock is only done by kids. It just seems particularly difficult for adults. Which I, that's... Are, I just want to clarify something here. Are you saying that Sub-Zero lives in a fucking babysitter's club treehouse? <laughs> just, the problem, uh, just rock. The problem with most adults and why they are not able to scale the cliff and, and get into Sub-Zero's private stuff and go just like searching okay. around in it is because they just they don't actually believe enough. You know, they, they don't believe in the fairies. They, they, can't, sure. they can't fly. Uh, that's you know? going to come into play very hard a little bit later on. So. It's like a eating food at, with the, uh, the Lost Boys and Hook situation, right? Like once sure. you believe that the food's on the table, you can food fight with it. But until you do. You can't climb a rock to your special clubhouse with Sub-Zero, man. You don't even know the rocks are there. The thing is, is if you want to get to your clubhouse with the cold, cold boy, you got to climb the rocks. <laughs> and you got to believe you can climb the rocks so you can hang out with your icy best friend. Yep. So this icy best friend is a member of the Lin Kuei, deadly yep. ninjutsu sect. Formed in 1200, emigrated from Japan to China in 1310. They kidnap young children and basically run them through like a, a Spartan-like ringer to like weed out the weak. And then train the survivors to basically be little John Wicks. I mean, we're told that they improvise arms from common objects such as paper rolled to a knife point or sand packed into a sock. <laughs> now, the first one, yes. Just like Master Ninja vibes from that, whoa, rolling the paper to a knife point, capable of penetrating human flesh. The one that gets me is this fucking prison yard ass sandbagged <laughs> into your sock. Bars of soap <laughs> in a sock made by ninjas. <laughs> I think I basically saw this tactic in Full Metal Jacket. To, yeah, no, you know, we a did. slight variation. The other thing uh. that gets me in this just like list of basically awesome, it's basically a ninja CV, this chapter, right? Like bullet sure. points. These are my skills. This is what I'm able to do. Can I guess? Does it involve the I'm... surface of water? Nope. It involves the fact that he knows the bird's name. Oh, okay. He knows Shang Tsung's favorite bird's name. <laughs> well, you know, when you live all alone in your magical children cave above the surface of the sea, and you don't have many friends to talk to, just a, uh, a room full of scrolls, you get pretty lonely, and you bond with whatever stumbles in. Good, Hamachi. Return to your master with my message for a price. <laughs> the bird doesn't hear you, my man. But, yeah... The surface of the water thing. Oh, yes. My favorite moment is definitely the fact that we are told that Sub-Zero is able to run along the surface of the water due to the inflatable shoes that he wears. That. He has moon bounce shoes. He has. I would just visualize <laughs> what does this look like? We have ninja aside, like just given the the density of, of water, right? Like to hold a fully grown human who is standing upright. On the surface of the water, we got to be talking about like these just like giant ass like inflatable pool rafts, right? The size that these shoes would have to be on either foot. The width of the fucking pool raft shoes that he's wearing, apparently. And he'd have to be like skimming along, but he'd have to be like bow-legged, like with either leg like way out. Like he'd have to basically be doing the splits to account for the the size of the the shoes, the inflatable buoys on the other side, right? So I'm just this master ninja emerging from his cave down to the surface of the water and then just like skimboarding his way <laughs> on moon shoes to his destination. 
so all of this, it does need to be pointed out that he also has a breathing tube for breathing underwater, for traveling underwater if he needs it. If his, if right. his shoes don't work, he also, he's got a boatload of knives and uh, garrote and smoke bombs and firecrackers and wrist hooks, and he can summon ice magic from his dead soul using silver plates in his armor, apparently. But he also has a breathing tube in case he needs to travel underwater. This is the the thing that gets me, right? It's like, okay, given like other conditions, like a, a non-magically imbued world that you're trying to construct, I, I maybe try something with like the inflatable ninja shoes. Sure. The guy can freeze water into ice. <laughs> Just like freeze the surface of the goddamn water and run across. Perfect explanation. It's 1995. Iceman in the X-Men? Has been seen, Jeff Rovin. We have seen Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and Iceman does some cool stuff. Sub-Zero can do those same things. The whole point of this chapter is to establish him as a certified badass, like literally anything else. Just tell me he's such a fast ninja runner that like he's like one of those lizards that can run out across the river or whatever. But no, we've got him on fucking pool shoes. <laughs> he's got, no, he's got moon boots. And they help him run across the water. Right, right, okay. <laughs> but anyway, we got a character here. Also, like, that's just, that's pure Roven lore. I mean, uh, there's there's nothing in the games hinting at inflatable shoes, from what I recall. Now, I'm not the most knowledgeable gamer on this front, but I want to say I don't recall any fatalities involving Sub-Zero inflating his shoes and, and bouncing around the uh, the arena. I would love to see that. <laughs> uh, you listening? Another Realms, are you listening? Mortal Kombat 1 is not out yet. You have time. <laughs> Make it DLC. God, I hope they're bright orange, though. Like water wings. <laughs> <laughs> I like to imagine them with, with little duckies <laughs> on, on the front of either one. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit, that's good. So, we, we've met Sub-Zero in an entire chapter. So next chapter, guess what? We get to meet Scorpion. In the weirdest way ever. So Scorpion was killed by Sub-Zero, dumped into use sacred waters. Mm, young Park. He's floating in nothingness, recounting his very gory death and subsequent surprise at actually drowning to death despite having his body sliced open and his guts spilling out all over the place. To be that person, to have like your, basically just your innards spilling out and like, this is how I go, but then just like to be thrown into the water and like, oh no, I'm drowning on top of that. And actually, this is how I go. Yeah, this is, I'm having a real bad day. <laughs> he's having a real rough go of it. But going through, he's recounting his entire existence, basically, and how much one, he hates Sub-Zero, but he also is aware that he died and he's remembering his wife and his son Sui. And suddenly he is face to face with it had the muscular torso of a man, the head of a wolf, the lower body of a mountain cat, the shell of a beetle, the forelegs of a frog, the hind legs of a bear, and the tail of a scorpion. Again, what the fuck does this thing yeah, this look is a like? Real, this is a very Lovecraftian creation here. Like um, I've seen some like chimeric stuff from Greek mythology and, and other things like that, you know, but that's a lot of stuff on a god, and apparently that's what you looks like. Yeah, this is you, and uh, honestly, I mean, most of that, like, okay, that tracks, yep, I can, I'm like, you know, I'm panning down over this god, like, yep, 
Head of the Wolf, okay. Torso time, good. I think the one that really gets me is the shell of a beetle. Is that across his entire exterior or just a, like as if it's just where you would expect it to be maybe like around the, the body of the mountain cat around the torso but if we've got beetle shell across this whole thing what does a beetle shell encrusted wolf head look like so i i'm more curious about the fact that it has different upper torso and lower body but it also has different legs on those portions of the body so he has Four legs of a frog on a muscular torso of a man. And he has the hind legs of a bear on the lower body of a mountain cat. Mm. Again, this is the god of waterways. So mountain cat makes perfect sense. I just, I, I don't understand. Like, I get it if this is like a classical de- like depiction of the deity you. I, I'm, I'm assuming that the deity you exists because Jeff Rovin has his favorite translation that probably covers this deity. <laughs> but I, I assume, based on Mr. Rovin, that this is how you is depicted. I need a glossy ass JPEG of you. I want to see it, and then I also equally don't want to see it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, I read it the way I read a lot of Lovecraft stories, which is just, okay, I get like a sense of this monstrous sort of unknowable entity. And it's not so much about the individual components. It's about the fact that this can't be understood. I can't even imagine what this looks like, which is kind of the point, right? It's just beyond comprehension. Yeah. Because if you really think about it, like this back heavy, bare legged with front frog legs, like I hope you is just posted up looking menacing or at least like uh, imposing and just not moving around because as soon as this thing starts to walk it's going to look everything's going to fall apart yeah everything (laughs) falls apart there is no grace to this creature you know obviously I don't mean any disrespect to you followers of you please forgive our transgressions yeah please I'm sorry it could be worse it's not like we disemboweled someone and threw them into the waterway true very true so you goes up to Yong who is you, former? Me? I didn't go to Young. Yeah, we, we got a who's on first kind of situation. Who's on first? Here, right? um, <laughs> damn it! You beat me to it, bastard. Um, it's like the Twizzlers all over again. <laughs> That's it. Um, so Young, formerly Scorpion, now dead guy, is told that his soul and abilities and knowledge are going to be shunt into his son's body so that he can get revenge. Yang does not want this. Very strongly does not want this. His son is an artist. His son is sensitive. He wants nothing to do with getting his son involved in this. But the god of the waterways is like, but your shit is in my water. And somebody else put it there. So you're going to kill him for me. Mm-hmm. And does not take no for an answer. In the midst of these shenanigans, we got, once again, a return to Kano briefly. Uh, mostly just more bantering. Um, until Raiden appears and stops them all with a flash of lightning, demanding that they stop. Then Shang Tsung and Goro also appear and issue their own threats. And that's about where we leave things off so before this returning is, back to Yong. This is very important to me, actually, this, this, the ending of this chapter, because mm-hmm. it begins what I would like to call the first orgy of this novel. Not orgy in the, <laughs> the sex Royal way. Royal Rumble. It is everyone arriving at the same fucking place at the same time. <laughs> And there is no reason for it. Dragon Ball Z energy. Like, we, we know that Shang Tsung's not in a rush. Why are you making portals all of a sudden, my man? But yes, then we, then we get Scorpion made. Right. Basically. Yong appears to his son, explains the task. 
what you has endowed him with, and they merge. More Dragon Ball Z energy. And Sui is suddenly magically clothed in a black bodysuit, golden gloves, a dark cowl, and a golden mask. And I just gotta ask, you're just living your life. You're a young fella, just going about it, and suddenly your dead dad comes knocking at the door to your soul and says, hey, I'm gonna need to crash here for a little while. <laughs> I mean, are you letting dad in? Uh... I would love That's a to big say, ask. Yeah, I, I would love to say that I would, but there's a good chance that I would say, hey, hey, my dude, I just got Resident Evil 4 remake and I have stuff to do. I am sorry. Right, we got some we got some ground rules. Whenever there's a, a necktie hanging on the doorknob to my soul, like you, you got to leave. <laughs> yeah, when the souls are rocking, don't come a knocking. And... <laughs> <laughs> like get your jollies someplace else. All right. But yes, they they meld or merge. And something that I, I wanted to mention, and it, in my limited experience with Mortal Kombat, Jeff Rovin has turned me on my head. I never would have put Scorpion as the good guy. He's a fireman, devil boy, who the only time I've seen him in TikToks or memes, he normally has a skull underneath his mask. That's normally a bad guy sign. But instead... The badass ice dude is, God save me, cold-hearted, and Scorpion is the good guy. I actually appreciate that, right? It's like, okay, I really the Shang like Tsung it. villain yeah. is exactly who you would think he is based on his description, but now we've got an inverse of that, right? Like a, a playing with that trope of like, oh, what you would expect given this like uh, description and these characteristics, actually. Well, so this is actually the mirror opposite counterpart of Shang Tsung, which I like very much. Like Shang Tsung mm -hmm. is this reincarnated devil regent for Shao Kahn, mm -hmm. where Scorpion is now a reincarnated warrior for the god of waterways. One is fighting for desecration and the other is fighting because of the desecration done to them. Mm-hmm. Which would be great if, you know, they came at each other, but that's a Kung Lao and Liu Kang thing. But the characterization, I, I didn't expect myself to like a whole bunch about this novel as an adult reading it, but mm -hmm. I really, really like the characterization of Scorpion. I yeah, think I agree. I think the, the soul melding between father and son, while yes, in, real, in reality, in uh, like thinking about it as a real living human being is like, man, that's going to suck for him, huh? But looking at it from a characterization perspective, the dad doesn't want this at all. He is very literally like a peaceful, desecrated warrior mm -hmm. kind of thing. And the son just wants his dad to rest because that's what this is all about, right? Is right. It, by killing Sub-Zero, they are erasing the desecration done to use waterways. So now Scorpion could then rest. So this is basically just like, this is like a Fast and Furious movie. It's all about family. <laughs> it is. And that has the most like innate sort of dramatic stakes, right? Everything else yeah. is sort of like tacked on and you have to like do a lot of legwork as the reader to try and like breathe life into these various, this assemblage of characters that you don't have most a whole of lot the... to work with. And most of them are two dimensional. Right. This is for me, at least this is the first character where the backstory and description of how the character kind of comes to be, I actually give a shit about. Mm -hmm. 
I agree with that. And also just, he's fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I follow up your very deep, introspective, thoughtful analysis of Scorpion, just being like, and you know, he can shoot a, a stinging barb out of his, his hand, right? It's not just a barb. And that's what fucking kind of threw me. Because, you know, everybody knows the social, cultural osmosis of the, get over here! And the right. harpoon comes out of his hand, and he grabs the dude, and I don't know what it does, but it's a thing that happens. But it's not a har- it's not a it's not a thing. It is a fishing instrument. You gives them magic based on fishermen. He is not using tools of a ninja. He is using the tools of a fisherman. That is waterways. That is fucking cool. It is. This was easily, without a doubt, my favorite part of the book. From that, we are right back into the Royal Rumble. Like, and, and now this one, I, I have notes. <laughs> <laughs> this one has serious cartoon energy. I think particularly, so the battle of Raiden and Goro, when Raiden zaps Goro and he literally says, yow, like cartoon style, like wolf, or what do I want to say? Maybe like Tom got his ass lit on fire by Jerry and he's just like, you know, this racing is, through the house. Yeah. Um, I would just like to point out, in this case, uh, something we haven't really seen yet, and it's that Shang Tsung is a sassy bitch. <laughs> and I love it. He says at one point to Raiden, after Goro says, do not move yet, Thunder God, Shang Tsung goes, yeah, let's savor this moment, why don't we? This has been a long time coming, and frankly, I wish it could have been postponed a little bit longer. And later... <laughs> Raiden gets pissed and says, Shao Kahn will destroy you. And Shang Tsung just says, sour grapes. Are you fucking kidding me? I did not. Sour grapes. I did not expect Shang Tsung to have sass. But he, Mm. that's, that's why this, this entire chapter is just cartoonish. Incredibly cartoonish. Well, and if that, if that wasn't cartoony enough, we've got Goro basically grand slamming Raiden by what? Flinging him into the air and using a fallen tree trunk like a baseball bat to just knock him out of the park? I mean, this is a wild-ass brawl. Hey, but don't worry, because Raiden uses capital letter movesets, the old torpedo and throw combination. (laughs) Capital T torpedo and capital T throw combination. Right. Nobody else has a moveset. Nobody else has a (laughs) moveset. Well, he is a god. Gotta grant him that, right? He then makes the mistake of firing a bolt at Shang Tsung, who laughs and explains that that is exactly what he needed to complete his spell. And he makes, oh my god, he makes a Kung Kano smoke baby. This is just wild. Kano Lao, right? So it's a smoky humanoid shape, has one flame red eye and one normal one, uh-huh. has a rippling gray countenance. The face was definitely Kano's, while the wispy robed form was more Kung Lao. Than the criminal. I also just love the uh, talk about sassy, like this line. What did you do? Schneider asked. Shang Tsung replies, I simply did some basic mathematics. One mind of Kano, if I may use that term to describe what's in his head, plus one mind of Kung Lao equals one devoted follower of Shang Tsung with the knowledge of how to find the amulet. Sassy. <laughs> sassy bitch. <laughs> he is a sassy bitch. I love I I am, you know what? Nothing is everything, and so is Shang Tsung being a sassy bitch. Shang Tsung is my everything, <laughs> and Hamachi is his everything. Yes, Hamachi the pigeon also. 
So the stakes here are like Shang Tsung is basically holding these two together, and if he is interfered with, he will allow the smoke to dissipate, at which point Kano's soul goes straight to the outworld, dragging Kung Lao with it, and that means Shao Kahn now has enough souls to, to, to break through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the plan. Uh, though we do need to point out that by the end of the chapter, Shang Tsung says, you know what, Raiden? You did go against me, so hey, go ahead and call your boy on the other end of that radio, and go ahead and put a bullet in old penis's head. Goodbye, Chin Chin. Goodbye, Chin Chin. Uh, Liu Kang shows up to save Chin Chin, basically, but Raiden beats him to it, blows the whole place up with a lightning bolt, and with that lightning bolt, also hits Liu Kang. Yeah, we do get like a flashback of young Liu Kang. There's like an attempt to sort of establish something with him, right? Like yeah. at home in Hunan. Um, the sneaky game he used to play with his older brother Chow, like remembering his parents' death from the plague, his brother's disappearance. Um, but again, it's just like there's just not enough there with him. It's like both Liu Kang and Kung Lao are sort of trying to merge into the same lane here, right? The slightly stoic yeah. warrior. Um, Liu Kang is just a little more current with his references and a little more like witty, like a little sassier. But like the fact that Kung Lao is like this linguistic scholar and speaks English so well makes him even more interchangeable. Yeah. So this begins with with the explosion and the saving of, of Chen Chen begins the continuation of honestly a 100 page orgy of combat and stupidity. <laughs> All of a sudden, Sub-Zero shows up. Yeah, Lucy's some comrades with slit necks and we wire lying at, outside, killed by the ninja. Over 70% through this book, and they introduce a new fucking ninja. They introduce Reptile, who is the personal bodyguard of Shao Kahn, who spits acid and is apparently smarter than Goro. Well, low bar. Uh, so, we have a whole thing. Raiden, Goro, Reptile. And right when Goro and Reptile have Raiden on the ropes, Liu Kang shows up. And then, not even a page later, Sub-Zero shows up. And then, not even a page later, Scorpion shows up. They're just about all here. Um, Sonya's found out for being who she is. She's talking to Shang Tsung. She explains why she's chasing Kano. Now, this is an important part of her personality, right? Because... She has a, she had a fiancé. She had a fiancé, right? We can't just have the only female character... Be uh, an independent sort of, woman, right? No, we, we have to tie her motivation to dead husband. Yeah. The martial arts master who three years ago, uh, when he refused to work for the Black Dragon Society, was killed by Kano. And I just love that... Uh, Sonya says, when Cliff refused to use his skills to fight for the Black Dragon Society, Kano shot him with six slugs from a forty-five. to which Shang Tsung replies, that's Kano. That's, that's so Kano. I, I have a lot of problems with the characterization of Sonya Blade in this book. Because, one, the name Sonya Blade makes her sound badass. And when it is Sonya Blade fighting... When she is in capital K combat, she is badass. She infiltrated the Black Dragons by herself. She is a U.S. Special Forces agent, and she's good at her job, apparently, better than anyone else at her job, apparently. But they constantly undermine her as a character. Her former fiancé was the person who apparently taught her how to fight, so it's not like, you know, 
she took it upon herself to learn martial arts. And we see we see here in just a second, they damsel in distress her. Mm -hmm. This is the point where I said, okay, so they kidnap and damsel the only woman in this entire book. Are you fucking kidding me? If they fridge her, I revolt. So, right. I mean, after Sung, like, basically vaporizes Wu and Schneider, uh, he says Sonya has earned a special honor and vanishes with her. And uh, this leaves Goro and Reptile to just, you know, hang out, spit acid all over the place, and take care of Raiden. So, this next chapter, chapter 29, which continues the battle, we're, we're still here with Goro. For whatever reason, this stuck out to me. Goro's eyes, Goro's red eyes, moved like little machines. Just like some weird descriptions. I don't know what that means. Like, what kinds of machines and why? Micro machines. Micro machines, right. Yeah. To mimic his micro brain, apparently. Exactly. That's. Um, so Raiden proceeds to get his ass just torn apart by a Goro and Reptile. Gets a, he's about to get a face full of acid when, once again, arriving at a timely moment, Liu Kang dives in and intervenes. And they go a little bit longer, and then, with an icy blast... Sub-Zero here we arrives. Have another <laughs> introduction. Nick of time, Sub-Zero saunters in, freezes him. I mean, how many times in a row can you have, like, another challenge dramatically intervene at a pivotal moment? I, I said before, like, WWE energy, but this is like the, the Undertaker, like, appearing from behind. You know, the lights go out, yeah. they come back on, Undertaker's there. Then it's like the, the drop, the musical drop, and, like, someone's coming down the walkway. It's just again and again and again. <laughs> There's a level of Deus Ex Machina on Deus Ex Machina. Like, people say that certain jokes are like, you put a hat on a hat sort of thing. These, yeah. This is a stack of hats. A whole bunch of hats. It's just over and over again, and it doesn't stop with these chapters. The rest of the book, anytime there is combat, anytime there is any fight, the solution is, oh, well, we'll just throw somebody else in there. And then we'll just throw somebody else in there. Goro's red eyes moved like little machines. Jeff Rovin's eyes moved like little god machines. Yes. A god machine making a god machine made of god machines. Dance puppets. Dance for me. Kano Kung go to get the amulet that we have heard so much about. And seen very little of, actually. It was hidden very, away right at the outset very of the little book of. all those years ago. And Kano Kung take the amulet and dip set out. Hmm. Not, even, not even a full page, page and a half for that entire chapter until we're back to the royal fucking rumble. Well, we couldn't spend too much time away because we might, if we did, we, we might miss Scorpion. the introduction of yet another <laughs> character. <laughs> and it's Scorpion's not he, here. And he, he enters like, oh, does it look like a fair fight to you? It is now sort of thing. And you're like, ah, oh, God, really? Uh. Another great one-liner here. Um, Calm yourself, Goro, said Sub-Zero. What is your name, boy? I am Scorpion, said the youth. Sub-Zero snickered. Uh-huh. I've eaten Scorpion and had Scorpion soup. I can't say I cared for either. Now, Tarantula Stew, at which he trails off. I just... The fact that he just felt the need to tack that on. For what? Are you trying to sound like a badass? The Tarantula's dead. It's not like you're like, oh yeah, I just shove... You're not pulling a Goro here and just eating venomous lizards and... And they're harmless and spiders. Shit. Yeah. You, you... All it does is make you sound gross, bro. That sounds yeah. just rancid. <laughs> you could have been like, I've had, I've eaten scorp, I've had to eat a scorpion before, but I really like tokatsu. 
big fan. Right. It, it could have been anything. It, he's like, he starts going towards the one-liner, right? It's like, I've eaten scorpion, and I'm, you know, and I'm about to eat your ass, right? Or, or something of the like, right? Or I'm about to de- de-venom you. But he just veers off into another direction. Speaking of food, tarantula stew. Yeah. That's some good eating. <laughs> He has, he does, he does that a couple, Sub-Zero has a couple of lines that it's like, it's like Jeff was trying to be clever, but they're also so fucking stilted. Like, I said it was time, Sub-Zero, turn around and face me. The ninja's head turned around, and the rest of his body followed a moment later. (laughs) I've turned, he said, I'm facing you. Once again, cartoon energy, out the ass. This is all we need is a boy to yeah. just like match the, <laughs> the rest Hon- of them. Honestly, around. it would not have surprised me if at like the end of a chapter, an anvil hit one of them and knocked <laughs> someone out of the fight. Raft shoes brought to you by Acme, the Acme yeah. Corporation. Just so much gold here, but one other thing I have to bring up. So we basically have like Sub Zero. He throws a, a smoke and a tear gas bomb, and the baddies all escape, right? Yeah, everybody. Dip, everybody dips out basically. Yeah. Uh, Luke consoles and advises Scorpion, at which point he says, you know, my father had honor. That was why he left the Lin Kuei. That's why they killed him, you know. Uh Luke Kane saying, I'm sorry, friend, I know how you feel. Goro and Reptile may be big and strong, but they're not stupid. They ran off with Sub-Zero. Three against two aren't odds they favor. Scorpion asks, how did they get away so fast? At which Luke Kane says, perhaps Sub-Zero didn't. A ninja with his experience can dig a ditch in seconds and pull the soil in over him. You could search for hours and never see the breathing tube. That's for underwater use only. It said so in his description. Also, just once again, like the skimming along the surface of the water, if you take five seconds and start actually thinking about what this looks like in practice. So in the time that he deploys his smoke bomb or whatever, right? In mere seconds, he digs the ditch gets down in the ditch and pulls the soil over him and also like fiddles with his breathing tube. How is Sub-Zero digging this ditch? Because I imagine he's down on all fours just like kicking with his back legs like a dog. That's the only way I can imagine him accomplishing this task in mere seconds. There is no way that a ninja outside of, like if you took the smoke from the smoke bomb away, they would look so dumb. So dumb. I like, and just imagine, like he had to try a few, like in the past, it's never gone always completely well right he's been a little behind maybe he like you know dug into some like particularly rocky soil like oh it's a little little firmer down here than i imagined we're not we don't just have loose topsoil smoke dissipates his challenger just like turns to the side and he's probably always got that moment like it would be if you i don't know like walked in on someone masturbating or like even like if you walk in on a if you try if you watch a dog and lock eyes with your your pet as they're defecating in the yard they just have that moment like of shame (laughs) <laughs> just the idea of Sub-Zero looking up and he's halfway got a ditch dug and he just goes Occupado <laughs> yep. this seat's taken um, God but also everything that Liu Kang said is not correct Goro and Reptile may be, may be dumb, maybe big and strong, but they're not stupid. They ran off with Sub-Zero. They ran off with Sub-Zero. Three against two aren't odds they favor. It's three against three, Lou. It's three against three. Right. Who are you not accounting for? And it sounds like he's not accounting for one of them. That's what I'm saying. And he, said, he, all, short? he said all three of their names. <laughs> 
And actually, it's more like three against four because dad's in there. Yeah. <laughs> we I've got, got my, dad energy hanging I've out. I've got my dad here. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna tell my dad. Sub-Zero, come back. I'm telling my dad. Yeah. Oh. Well, math is not his strong suit. He's just, he's busy thinking he's, about Twizzlers. He, he's got to have a hankering now. He's been working hard all night. He's running no from Sha- fires. <laughs> he's no Shang Tsung, you know? Shang Tsung does <laughs> one Kano head plus one Kung Lao head <laughs> equals one loyal servant of Shang Tsung that knows the location of the amulet right. in the temple. So, I mean, that's this, good math. This is a man who's kept up on his studies in the intervening centuries. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Now, speaking of great lines, chapter 32. Um, how do you even set this up? Yeah. Uh, we're back to Kano, um, who is approaching the fog surrounding Shimura Island on the dragon-powered boat. And he's on the boat headed towards Shimura Island. However, he actually says there have been many times in his life where he felt like he was in a fog. But a few hours ago, he was. And then he, <laughs> it goes back to when he got the amulet. They're going through. And because he got the amulet, Shang Tsung's spell kind of ended, and him and Kung Lao split and were themselves again. So Shang Tsung's spell didn't work, right? He got the amulet, yes, but he did not get the soul that he needed to open the portal for uh, Shao Kahn. Right. But Kung Lao tries to take the amulet, and so Kano kicks him in the ribs and dips out to head back to Shimura Island. And this is the point where... Kano starts to suspect that Shang Tsung's powers aren't um, as strong as they should be, right? The fact that he right. is transported onto the boat as opposed to the island, like Shang Tsung just couldn't manage to bring him all the way, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's sitting on this boat, he's looking out on this landscape, at which point he starts to reminisce about the time he was a kid and stuck a wet goldfish into an electric outlet to try to cook it. So I think we finally figured out the crimes that Kano was committing. He killed, the f- he killed the f- cat, the class goldfish. Yeah, the juice went right through the struggling fish and into his hand. And that, that's the kind of stuff that gets you deported from your home country, let me tell you what. I mean, if you kill a goldfish, they'll kick you right out. We go from this boat scene back to what you were just talking about, him getting the amulet away, kicking Kung Lao in the ribs. Now, this is the point I wanted to highlight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As he kicks Kung Lao in the ribs, he says, nice try, but between the two of us, you're the Lao man on the totem. The Lao man on the totem. Now, low man on the totem is a phrase I know. Lao is not the same word as low. So I would like to point out, he could have said totem pole. It's normally low man on the totem pole. Like That's true. That's true. Totem is a little different, right? We're talking yeah, about I, the pole itself, not totems in general. Yeah, like but, a totem is a singular head. A pole of totems have multiple totems stacked on a pole. But, you know, Kano isn't one for ending his sentences. He drops Gs whenever true, possible. Yeah. And, you so, know, pole is just Another G, yeah. Now, I couldn't help but look at this and feel like, what a missed opportunity. The fact that we're leaning so hard into just straight punning here. So I couldn't help but just think of some alternatives just off the top of my head. Oh, do you want to play a game? We could we could punt off a little bit here. I will right, play that game with you. Okay, okay. Trying to split with the goods? I can't allow that. Ooh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, my, my first one is, are you trying to take the amulet and run? What are you, a Kung Lao chicken? Oh. Oh. All right. Um, 
Enjoy your nap. Can I fetch you a fresh pillow? That's real good. Um, <sighs> when he kicks him in the ribs and he curls over, like yeah. curls over his own stomach, it's just, why don't you take a Kung Bao? <laughs> Still, less of a stretch than Lao Man on the totem. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. I think I can. I think I can muster one more out of this before my soul just leaves my body. Um, if you know what's good for you, you'll stay there. Otherwise, I'll have to put you in a shallow grave. <laughs> oh, that one. That one hurt. Oh. <laughs> uh, this one's also a uh, a little bit of a stretch, but they all are. He grabs the grabs the amulet back from him, starts walking away, and he goes, with great lower comes great responsibility." <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we have a winner. <laughs> um, I also have um, anything involving Donkey Kong or King Kong. Both of those mm. work. Uh, oh, yeah. I, am, I am the great Kung Holio. Lao. Kung Holao. That one, that one was a work. Um, also, I really wanted to call him an unkung hero. All good choices, all good options, all better options. I and just really one of those. Uh, just last last thing about this whole pun off. One that was, God, some of those were so good. I cried a little bit. But as sexy as everybody in this book is, I wish they would just go ahead and say it. Like get rid of all the the cruft, and just say that he is kung like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> it got to save something for the sequel <laughs> oh you know, man a lot of the references you just made though like would be apt for kano the one that gets me right after this line let's see where do we have it and then kano had headed down the mountain though he hadn't gone far when a flash of red smashed into him from he had no idea where, giving him a serious headache and causing every hair on his body to stand up and do the dance of sugar plum fairies. Again, it's dance of the sugar plum fairies, and that's a Jeff Rovin accident. Just this is focalized through Kano. This is Kano's internal monologue of sorts. <laughs> and he makes a sugar plum fairies reference. Like this Kano has a fancy lad side. He hides it well. So anyway, we kind of like jumped forward, circled back around to fill in all these beautiful one-liner sure, gaps yeah. that we missed. And, uh, but we're here on the boat heading towards the island. Uh, we go on to chapter 33. We got another reconvening of the good guys at the temple where they find Lao. They find Kung Lao, uh, Raiden and Scorpion teleport to Shang, but Lu and Lao cannot. Lao says he has another method. He prays and unleashes something as the walls begin to quake. Yes, and... Uh... I actually don't have much to say about this chapter. There's there's not a lot to it, other than the fact that at one point, Scorpion actually says, I am son and I am father. And yeah. I was waiting for Kung Lao to just be like, I was I was a holy ghost. <laughs> and, you know, that's, I mean, that's something. Apparently, dad magic, right? The only two that can teleport, Raiden, Thunder God, and dad magic. Yeah. No one else yeah. can manage that trip. Um, so we go from there into, yes, maybe one of just the most egregious examples of just fumbling the bag just like establishing sonya as a character but now we've got her literally being carried through the palace by stinky hands she sees her old compatriots wound schneider you know they have left this mortal coil 
and she's taken to robed and hooded figures who are painting a mural with their blood and brought before priest Baraka, a devilish serpentine and grinning figure. Over seems 80, poised to over 80% through this book and a new character is introduced. Right. And I guess this is another one like for fans like look, we managed to shoehorn, shoehorn Baraka in to this like priest role. He's about to sacrifice this damsel in distress. Oh, don't forget they have to mention the beautiful white pigeon that's right there by the sacrifice. Can't get enough of those sexy sexy birds. Hamachi is here ready to watch Sonia get sacrificed. There's actually a line in here I, I do really like. It's, um, we've got Sonia lying there. She's looking at the, uh, the sleeves of the robe being slid back from the thick muscled arms. The creature's amber flesh, like that of her white-robed captors. The long, thin steel blades that seem to grow from the back of his forearms. This, like, really frightening image, right? The figure yeah. crosses the blades, which touch with a delicate ping. And then he looks at Sonia and bring him forth, he said, in a gurgling voice that sounded like it came from a Walkman that she'd once dropped in a pool. And uh -huh. I actually really like this this reference, this description, right? Like in the even in the midst of this like very traumatic event, like it's just something to make this connection to like it's almost like circling back through like life flashing before your eyes, like just conjuring some just mundane detail out of the depths of the subconscious and bringing it forth in this moment. I like it. I like that line. It. It works. It works well. What doesn't work well is the reason they're sacrificing Sonya Blade. Right. Uh, in case anyone's curious, the reason, Baraka explains, um, so few people get to see their own hearts before they die, but my blades work quickly. My own heart, she thought. What happened to the bird? Baraka raised his arm so the sword pointed straight up. Oh, noble Hamachi. He burbled as the cage was raised higher. Great and devoted messenger to our master, we make this sacrifice that your likeness may be drawn on the walls of this shrine. In your name, noble bird, do we draw blood. They are killing a woman to draw a bird because they love this bird so, so much. Hamachi's thirst must be sated. Yeah, sure. Because Shang Tsung be thirsty for that bird. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a thing, uh, Baraka is about to murder Sonya Blade in the chapter ends. Uh, then we go, and Kano brings the amulet to Shang Tsung. The one thing that we hoped would not happen at the beginning of the book has happened. And, uh, well, Kano doesn't want to give it up. No. Shang, Shang Tsung is weak and old, and Kano's like, well, why don't you just teach me how to use this thing, huh? Yeah. Tries to portray <laughs> Shang Tsung, but wouldn't you know it? We have a just-in-time arrival. Yes, we do. Two of them, Goro and Reptile, arrive just in time to knock Kano out and get Shang Tsung the amulet. Uh, and after Kano's knocked out and we have our that stuff, then we have other arrivals. And then we go back to Sonya right before the other arrivals actually show up on, on stage. They got me on the edge of my seat. Who could it possibly be? Which of yeah, the 400 characters? There's so, you know what? It's, it's going to be uh, Shang Tsung's wife, Chen. She's back. Um, she never left. Then we go back to Sonya Blade, and it goes over all of her training. And one of my favorite lines of the entire novel is, none of those geniuses back at the Special Forces Academy had ever told her what to do if she were about to be sacrificed to a pigeon. <laughs> they said they trained me for every contingency they lied um, 
I had one note about this chapter other than that line, and that is uh, Sonya Blade murdered the bird. Hamachi is dead. Uh, similarly, I just have awesome leg maneuvers. Yeah. Now there is the, so she like squeezes, she squeezes the consciousness out of Baraka with her legs, but then hops up and uses his bladed arm to fight off the rest of the horde. So this is another one of those funny images of like, okay, so yeah, we've just got her like holding Baraka out in front of herself, just swinging his arm, you know? It's it's very close to your quit, quit hitting yourself sort of scenario. Yeah. Like it's- uh, Quit stabbing your own horde. Quit stabbing your own it's, horde. Uh, oh my God, what is that? Where it's, it's a sword fight and he, un, he gets unarmed, but he grabs the other person. Oh, it's in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. He grabs two swords and he holds somebody else's arm and just like knocks all the swords away and stuff. Right. That's that's what she's doing. She's stop hitting yourself with somebody else's arm. Um, and it works. She she fends them off and rushes off to find Kano. We are going to exact our vengeance here sooner than later, I think. So we go from there to chapter 37, where everyone is finally assembled. They're assembled here at the palace. They're issuing threats back and forth. Uh, Shang Sun says he's going to bring 25,000 warriors from Outworld. He fires up the amulet and... Nothing happens. Nothing then happens. Then fog descends and outburst Kung Lao and Liu Kang. Just in Be- time, yet again. Because of dualities. <laughs> because of dualities. Yes. Be- maybe best line of the book, right? The priest, Goro shouted. How is this possible? Dualities, Kung Lao said. <laughs> Cue the Slipknot sound drop. I push my fingers into my eyes. Oh, metaphorically. Man. Almost literally. That's duality for you. That was one of the most cringy moments of the entire book for me. There is one moment that is cringier, and we will be getting to it shortly. So from there, we have uh, Shang Tsung and Kano staggering into Shang Tsung's inner sanctum. They find the demon Ruthe, and he's a malformed, diseased, like slightly transformed version of himself. Um, so the magical ring has been broken mm-hmm. by Sonya Blade, used her foot to just disturb the ring, breaking the magic and she is also disposed of the bird how much yep. you rest in peace uh, should we, should we like sing an aria no we're not singing an aria to hibachi we I could just, uh, animality <laughs> would be fine that would suffice bestia wait no <laughs> now that was what Shang Tsung was doing beforehand we've gone from bestiality to animality I think it's animality right do I have that right Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> they went a little buck wild, that's right. I think it was I, like I'm Mortal genuinely not joking about my, uh, my lack of knowledge when it comes to Mortal Kombat. We had like the fatalities, and then it was just like, let's just start. We had like animalities. I think there was babality, where they turned there into babies. There were friendships. I have seen a friendship one. Yeah, yeah. We went a little crazy there. A little, um, that, was the, that was Mortal Kombat's broke period. Yeah, sure. Sure, just, yeah. You know, let's try it. Let's just well, ornament this with as much as we can. So... You just you basically just said it. They showed up. Just Sonya says that Hamachi's dead and Shang Tsung is very, very upset. Kung Lao shows up and he says that he only wants the amulet and he will dip out. He will not destroy Shang Tsung. I would like to point out that Shang Tsung is still the Shang Tsung who adopted Kung Lao as a child. <laughs> still hasn't recognized that name after over a hundred generations. Um, and this is an interesting thing that a lot of villains do in a lot of things where they're like, well, I can't use the amulet, so I'm going to have the good guy use the amulet to do the bad thing. Right? right. 
So he makes a deal with Kung Lao, basically. Yeah, you can have the amulet. You just have to open the portal. Mm-hmm. And so Kung Lao does the thing. Shang Tsung gives him the words you have to use. And a wall of fire shows up, and Shang Tsung's super stoked because, hey, he did his thing. Shao Kahn will be so pleased. Uh, but then the, ch- the flames change. And so do the expressions of Ruth A and Shang Tsung. All of a sudden, we have a Jumanji situation on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. All the Outworld people are getting sucked back in. Yeah, we zoom back out, outdoors, where it's just the free-for-all. Raiden, Liu Kang, Goro, everyone just... And all the denizens of the palace, they're all duking it out. This is the big, you know, armies crashing against each other scene. And everyone just gets started to get sucked through the portal. I'm imagining like Bruce Campbell being pulled out of the cabin into the vortex. Oh, into see, time. I was expecting the end of Jumanji. Yeah, that that's how I. Yeah. And basically, this is all happening. And Raiden and Liu Kang are confused. And that's the entire chapter. Um, what could have possibly done this? But Kung Lao, he he recited. He recited the, the prayer, the chant, right? What was it called? Uh, it was just... Yeah, uh, Shang Tsung's prayer. Yeah. So, this is the second cringiest thing <laughs> that's ever happened because he took something directly from Star Trek. He reversed the polarities. He spoke the prayer backwards. Right. So, Shang Tsung basically is screaming, demanding, how did this just happen? How did you reverse my spell like this? To which Kung Lao responds. I said backwards, bro. Yeah. Yeah, I did it backwards. And I, I was going to do trickery. I know Pig Latin because I love languages, so I was going to do yeah. that. But instead, I just I just spoke it back. That's how spells work, right? Yeah, you know, you say them backwards, they reverse the effect. Pig yeah. Latin, uh, what you get the same result, but just everybody is just moderately more annoyed by the time a, you finish. A little different there, but we're not out of the woods yet because if nope. if Liu Kang goes through the portal with Goro. The portal will still open big enough for Shao Kahn. Right, because they're all getting sucked into the room, and Goro is, what, hanging on to Liu Kang, holding uh-huh, on to his leg, uh-huh. I think, pulling him in. Uh, great line here. As the giant was drawn into the shrine, Raiden and Scorpion both materialized in the room, facing Goro, their loins girded. I noted that as well. Cool. Important thing, <laughs> important note to make. We've got our loins girded. We're not going to be tripping on our robes. Yeah, we're, are, we got, are. We got them properly. We are girded. Our crotches are great. Yep. Um, <laughs> Shang Tsung offers up his soul to Shao Kahn, and Kung Lao's like, "No, nah, it's done. I took my fingers off the amulet, so it's it's done now." Yeah, and just like that, the portal closes, and Kano dips out. Looks like Team Kano is blasting off again. <laughs> yeah. Next, next episode, he's going to have a Meowth. Um, Sony Blade chases after him, but, you know, whatever. Doesn't really chase after him for long. She returns pretty nope. quickly. And just like, yeah, he's gone. Um, Liu Kang wrenches free. He <clears throat> wants to, like, finish the baddies right here and now, right? But yeah, he's ready, says, to, he's ready to go. Yeah. Raiden says to do so would make them no better than Shang Tsung or... Shao Kahn and just like again it's like um, it was like the motivation behind Kung Lao's supposed like reciting of Shang Tsung's prayer right it's like I couldn't allow any life to be extinguished any life to be extinguished even like this demon Ruthie right it's sure. like all of a sudden we sure we've been attending this event called Mortal Kombat for he's been hundreds stealing, and hundreds of years he's been stealing souls for 
over a hundred generations now. And yeah, you know, like we're involved in this, like there, there are high stakes, but suddenly we, we've got a sense of morality about this and we're not willing to cross this line, not this one. We couldn't possibly finish things right here and now, even though we will ostensibly be attending not too long from now to just go through this all again. And it is sort of required. Yeah. They, in fact, it's not just that it's required. They are all seemingly looking forward to it. Right. It's kind of like Goku, like, oh, I love a challenge. I'm going to let you reach your final form just so I can fight you later on. So this entire chapter is basically all of them saying, well, everybody lives. So Shang Tsung's still here, right? He's hanging around Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on this side of the portal. Um, So Liu Kang, like we said, is just like throwing a fit, right? This man is crazy, Raiden. He'll only try this again. Shang Tsung responds, you're wrong again, lad. I will not try this again. I've learned a great deal about my enemies, and I will most definitely not try this again. The next time we meet, all of us, it will be in a more traditional way, at which Liu Kang threw a series of high punches and uppercuts at the air in front of Shang Tsung, causing the wizard to step back. And I just love this image of Liu Kang standing there, just like chopping the air like fucking Mac from It's Always Sunny, just doing the... Yeah, he just shadow boxes. (laughs) Shadow boxes saying, yeah, I got you, boy. Yep. I'm coming for you. Hold me back, bro. Hold me back, Raiden. Hold me back. <laughs> um, all of that, that happens. And everybody gets away. Everybody leaves. Everybody does their thing. But then we get to the second to last chapter of the book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to break this down real fast. Real easy. Everybody goes back to Wuhu, which apparently is the name of kung lao's village now mm-hmm. everybody goes back proper heroes welcome proper heroes welcome um animal bones thrown like confetti yeah in some places they throw the skin and viscera uh yummy mm. said sonia but the important parts are kung lao is happy to be back chin chin is happy to be back and raiden asks chin chin to be the new disciple of the order of light and then we get someone showed up as a new shepherd because Chin Chin's no longer going to be a shepherd. Right. We've got a we got a vacancy here. In we town. got a vacancy. And Sonya hints to Scorpion that that's probably going to be Sub-Zero. It's such a weird. It's just weird. It's a TV show ending. It's the end of yeah. a season. It's the end of a season of TV. Uh, so to we me got a newcomer least. to town. You know, where did you come from? Well, I came from this other village. Like, I'll be your shepherd, you know, but like. We haven't seen this person before. Is it Sub-Zero? But like, I don't know. It's just the whole thing felt sort of like half-baked to me. It was incredibly. It wasn't even quarter-baked. Um, we don't even have all the ingredients here. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even need the dough. We're missing the Kung flour. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself. Um, <laughs> then Chen Chen meets the black-robed beggar that used to hang out with Kung Lao and Kung Lao's dad who we we know is is Raiden. But this is the cringiest part of the entire book. The amulet has no power. It was in you all along. Right. So Chin Chin's basically saying like, oh, I wish I could use the amulet to do to do good things. And which the beggar literally taps him, taps himself on the chest over his heart as if uh this wasn't hokey enough. The power was in here all along. (sighs) The power was the friendships we made along the way. Like, <laughs> fuck, man. Come on. Um, and then we get to the end of the book. Thank God. Finally. Well, and before we do. 
Oh, yeah. We also have um, Tintin receiving a paper, just like at the beginning of the book. We cycle back around to where we began. And wouldn't you know it, he can read the characters. The hero's journey starts anew. Yep. And then the beggar disappears in a flash of lightning. So then we get to the last chapter being a postscript going back to the villain, just like a fucking TV show. Yeah, this to me had like a Marvel post-credit sequence energy to it. Yeah, like, very obviously, much. That last line of that, that previous page, right? Just like, it was in here all along, flash of lightning, it was Raiden, he's back, we were back mm-hmm. in the beginning. That That's would have been perfect. Book. Cue the credits, and then after the fact, like, back at the, you know, the baddies lair. The last chapter is Ruth A's back in the outworld, talking to Shao Kahn, and Shao Kahn's like, hey, guess what? I'm coming to the next Mortal Kombat. I'll do this fucking shit myself. I'll do it myself because I can't trust Shang Tsung anymore. And I am very much looking forward to a Mortal Kombat where I can take part and steal some souls. Yeah, after what, like 1,500 years and some change, like dicking around, Uh I think I'm finally ready to get serious. Yeah, apparently. And that's where it ends. And I would like to point something out. There was never a Mortal Kombat in part two. You could argue there wasn't really much of a Mortal Kombat period. We like it we kind saw, of zipped through. We saw less than one Mortal Kombat fight when Goro absolutely murked the original Kung Lao. Right. It like talked about them all in passing and we just saw Kung Lao's death. And really I, just his death scene. I would have been happy with Scorpion's story and then just a bracket style Mortal Kombat series of fights it would have been more cohesive than some of the things that happened yeah well you know jeff rovin decided in lieu of a bracket let's just throw all the names into the same bracket and just do it all at once several times every name on the bracket is actually every name on every part of the bracket because they all fucking show up every goddamn time like i just i cannot fathom how this is called mortal Kombat when there was no mortal Kombat. There were barely any mortals, and there was barely any combat. Well, you know, funny you should say that. If you think that's a weird anomaly, there's a movie that was recently made called Mortal Kombat that also fails to have a Mortal Kombat tournament. It's a movie called Mortal Kombat. I saw that there's one in the 90s, which takes place after this book. I feel like I need to watch it. I feel like that's our next step. I need to know how well these characters are represented on the big screen i mean it's not like there's a lot there to draw upon are they do we do we potentially have a situation where there are better developed characters in the movie as opposed to the novel i because there's not much here i would i would i have to be curious about that i mean i think that's that's next i mean i guess there are only two characters that are well developed in this entire Three characters well-developed in this book, and three is real pushing it. And that's Kung Lao, Shang Tsung, and Scorpion. And honestly, I find Shang Tsung to be the most interesting character in the whole thing. Like, I... Yeah. The, like, his sassy nature, just like the... He's got more dimension to his personality than just about anybody else, and it was just always pretty fun when he showed up, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> He's depicted as this like, uh, like long white beard, long white hair, uh, looks like a skeleton man sort of thing, but he acts like 
the best friend in a romantic comedy. <laughs> You're right. Serious rom-com supporting best friend energy. In fact, usually there's like a weird quirk about the best friend to help them like stand out in this. And in this like... case, he's a former tax collector and now he's a mass murdering alchemist. And he's into bird stuff. And he loves bird stuff. <laughs> so all that said, final thoughts. What do you think? Can you recommend this book to any degree? I recommend it for the bird stuff and for Scorpion. Scor Scorpion stuff by itself, I think, is absolutely brilliant. If that was a novella, it would be it would be pretty highly rated for me, I think. Yeah. Um, there's just so much movie magic garbage in the book. Yeah. Like there's, there's so much fun you can have with, with fiction that doesn't rely on cinematic tropes. And this book relies so heavily on cinematic tropes. And the most fun I had reading it was when it backed away from those tropes and actually embraced, um, Jesus, the mortality of it all, mm. for lack of a better word. Yeah. And there are a lot of interesting ideas throughout, you know, but it's always, it's like he's throwing a bunch of, a bunch of stuff at the wall to see what will stick. Right. He's yeah. got his pasta in, in the, in the pot. It's boiling, but it's like, all right, you have a decent, some decent noodles in here, but for whatever reason you decided to boil it in toilet water. So it's like, even when it sticks, it's like, it's leaving a little bit of it's nasty residue on your It's leaving wall. a film. Like you don't want to eat it, really. This is pasta water that would leave a ring around your your bathtub. <laughs> yeah, I got to be honest. I don't know. Like, there was some fun to be had, but it's like it's it's a bunch of half measures. Like he didn't fully go into like dumb fun, over the top. It's a little too measured. I do kind of like the the just the most perfectly middle brow like tone. Right. It's like I've got deep religious texts i'm drawing from as a, as well as like 90s movie references yeah i just feel like it doesn't go far enough in either direction to really do a whole lot of memorable stuff there's like so many fun ideas at play it's a little it's just a little too short right like we just needed more Com with we needed more mortal more combat time. yeah yeah we needed some <laughs> mortal combat um you know i genuinely think we did not need part one i i think it yeah or like maybe just a couple chapters, right? In fact, that is a better prologue than sort of <laughs> Taoist creation myths, right? Sure. Just like give us a bit of Kung Lao, the original. Um, I think probably I'm trying to imagine myself, you know, at nine years old, stumbling upon this book somewhere, reading it. I think I would have had a really good time. I, I probably would have yeah. been really into it. And if I had been a fan of the source material at the time I read it, it probably would have checked all the boxes. The only box it wouldn't have checked is there was no real dragon. Well, again, gotta have I, something left for the sequel. Yeah, yeah. But what do we know? How could we possibly judge the work of a man as prolific as Jeff Rovin? Because I have just pulled up his information here. Oh, God. I want to say we're looking at 16 or so standalone novels, 17. One co-written with William Shatner from 2016 called Zero G. He's done seven different novelizations or tie-ins, including Reanimator in 1987, Cliffhanger in 1993, Broken Arrow in 1996, and The Game in 97, as well as Mortal Kombat in 95. Sure. Also, Return yeah. of the Wolfman in 1998, based on the universal monster of the same name. Then we've got 21, yes, I'm looking at this right, 
21 different books in Tom Clancy's Op Center series. Really? Yes. I read a few of those in like middle school. He wrote two works in the Unit Omega series under the pen name Jim Grand. Three books <laughs> written with, co-written with actress Jillian Anderson. Then we've got, my goodness. Jim Grand. Yikes. Just a huge list of nonfiction works here, starting in 1975. A lot of it... Um, Delving into just the uh, minutia of like nerd culture, right? We've got like from Jules Verne to Star Trek. We've got uh, the science fiction collector's Holy catalog, shit. encyclopedia of superheroes and supervillains, encyclopedia of monsters, uh, Simpsons this is, fever, just all over the place. Babylon. This is very biographies. Im- this is very important uh, to to go along with this. He's still writing. Yeah. His most recent Tom Clancy Op Center book came out in May of this year. I have to be honest, I feel a little foolish now. I mean, this whole time we've been joking, poking fun at this book, and I'm just like, Jeff Rovin, old Jeff, referring to him on like this friendly conversational basis, like, I'm sorry, Sir Rovin, master of, of nerd novels and nerd nonfiction. Holy Prolific crap. Artist. And you just have to imagine, like, I don't know. Thinking about that, like, uh, I'm curious. I want to check out more for sure. The, also, the fact that, like, so 20 years into his career, he felt like taking on the Mortal Kombat series. Like, just is that just like an interesting challenge for him to tackle? He was like, barely let me see what I can. He was barely 40 when he wrote the like. He was 40 early 40s when he did the Mortal Kombat book. Right. So it's like he's dealt with much richer source material in the past right so he's like maybe this is just like a an interesting challenge in the midpoint of my career like see what i can how much juice can i get out of this this orange here what can i do what the he did write a biography of the essential the essential jackie chan cool is that uh is that someone named after the the temple of the same name i i i can only imagine this anyway, he's also apparently a pretty uh prolific gamer because he's got like He's got How to Win at Nintendo, three different books on that. How to Win at Super Mario, Sega Genesis, like in the heyday, that golden console generation, right? A couple of them, I guess. Basically, late 80s through mid 90s, he was writing all kinds of strategies on gaming. Man, that's, that's absolutely own. insane. Well, Jeff Rovin, we, we poked our fun. We had our fun with your work. We, we I, maybe, I uh, salute you, sir. Salutes from Source Not Found. Yeah. From here on to you for what they're uh, worth. So so with that, we'll 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 close it up. Um so you can find us currently uh via Gmail at source not found pod at gmail.com. Uh and you can find us on Patreon at source not found pod. Send us emails, send us whatever, join our Patreon, talk to us. We have a Discord set up. Um Give us ideas of things you'd like us to talk about if you like hearing us talk, which I hope you do. Questions, comments, concerns, puns based on Kung Lao's name. We'll take them all. In the meantime, you can also hang out with me on Twitch. I stream on Twitch under the name Lejunebug, L-E-J-E-U-N-E-B-U-G. Come by and we'll talk some video games. Maybe even a little bit of Mortal Kombat. Ooh. You know what? I'll join you on that if that is a thing that we do. Maybe that'll be a stretch goal or something. Until then, until next time, when we come back with an exploration of the next Mortal Kombat experience, the 1995 film of the same name, 
as the book. Until then, mortals out. Uh, test your might.